Amen. Good morning, and you may be seated. I'm going to dismiss our children downstairs. I'm sure that uh, many of you have heard the great news that Kanye West has a new album entitled, Jesus is King. Well, as much as we may appreciate Mr. West um, and the title of his album, uh, we've been saying that for a long time. 2,000 years, uh, we have been declaring singing, praying, submitting, trusting in the truth that Jesus is King. You've been around uh, the last month or so in this series in Matthew. This has been Matthew's central idea, teaching us about who Jesus really is. And he has been uh, showing us from the Old Testament and through the circumstances and situations that Jesus is indeed the long-awaited, holy, anointed, uh, promised king uh, in the world. Jesus is the king of heaven and earth. And that's what we hope for every one of you here today and moving forward, is that each and every one of you has the opportunity to know Jesus, who he is, to trust him, to submit to him in his rule and reign as our king. And so Jesus is the king. And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, he's on the scene. He's here in the world. He has been baptized. He has been tested, tempted in the wilderness. And he won. Amen. He defeated Satan. And now he's on the scene in Galilee preaching. The same message as John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the king has come. The king is on the scene. And so what we wonder is, what will the king do now? Will the king assume his throne? Grab a hold of his authority that he rightfully has, begin to rule and reign uh, over his subjects? The answer to that is yes, but in a way that maybe we don't expect. And so we come to our passage this morning to see what Jesus does next as king, as he continues his ministry. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 25. Open your Bibles there, follow along with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 25. Verse 18 says this, that while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a, net, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. The call of Christ is simple and profound. But the call of Christ is clear to us this morning. Follow me. You may be wondering, what does God want? What is God's will? As the king is on the scene, what is he asking of us? Let's be simple for a moment. Without lacking any profoundness here, but let's be simple. The call of Christ is this. Follow me. If you're wondering, what does God say to you this morning? What does Christ speak to me in the midst of my life? In the midst of where I am, my stage, my my season? What does Christ say to me? What is Christ's call? What does God want? It's very simple. Christ's call is this. Follow me. Follow me. And as Peter and, and, and Andrew, James and John, hear this call, follow me, verse 19, we understand that it's indeed a physical call for them. Right? They were in a particular place. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he's on the move. He's in Galilee. He's itinerant. He's moving from place to place. And when he calls James and John, and he calls Peter and Andrew, and he says, follow me, this became right away explicitly a physical call for them. They had to get up from where they were as Jesus is moving along and and start walking in the direction that Jesus was going. So as these four men hear the call of Christ, they're called physically. Hey, get up. Let's go. I'm going this way. Follow me. Go wherever I go. Watch all that I do. Follow me. You can't stay here physically. You got to stand up and move. And so it's a physical call. But we understand as we begin to think about this that so much more is going on than just physical movement, right? That when the call of Christ goes out, follow me, it's so much more than just a physical move from point A to point B. And I want to just point out a few things that I think we, we should not overlook 
when we think about the call of Christ that is simple and yet profound. Follow me is his call. First of all, when Jesus says, follow me, we hear a personal call. A personal call. When Jesus says, follow me, it's a personal call. This is not an academic call. Right? This is, a, uh, this is not a degree. Go study this. Go learn that. Go hear about this. Go write about that. No, this is a personal call. As one preacher said, this is an invitation to a lasting relationship. That when Jesus comes to Peter and Andrew, when Jesus comes to uh, uh, James and John, he's coming to them and he calls them personally. He, he's calling them to a lasting relationship. Follow me. These are people. Real people, names, these are families. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Zebedee. And the call goes out to them, and it's follow me. Not follow an idea. Not follow a theory. But follow me. Don't follow a dream. Don't follow a concept. Follow a person. It's a personal call that goes forth for these four men and for us. And in doing this, in calling people to follow me, it's implicitly establishing a connection with Christ for them. And so as you hear these simple words this morning, follow me, hear Christ calling you personally. Follow me. Not an idea, not a list of beliefs per se, but a person. Come follow me, you. You follow me. But not only that, we see that this is an authoritative call. Right? This call comes with authority. So when we hear the words, follow me, we're hearing an authoritative call. Guys, this is a command. It's not an invitation. It's likened to a summons. You must appear before the judge. It's a summons. Follow me. It's a man who speaks with authority. It's non-negotiable. It's not optional. When you hear this call, you've got to go. Follow me. It beckons immediate, urgent obedience. And when we think about it from an authoritative point of view, we come to realize that it was very atypical at this time for rabbis or teachers to call disciples to themselves. It was actually practiced that the, the disciple would, would seek out a rabbi and ask them, take the initiative to ask them, can I be one of your disciples? Can I come learn from you? And so we see Jesus here doing something that was so atypical to the norm, that Jesus, being the king, coming with authority, summoning people, 
uh, James and John and Peter and Andrew, what he's doing there is out of the norm. It's atypical. He's taking the initiative. He's making the choice. You, Peter. You, Andrew. I've chosen you to follow me. I'm calling you to walk in my footsteps. It's an initiative that Jesus takes. It's him issuing the call, the summons. It's personal and it's authoritative. And it implicitly calls for submission. Connection and submission. But not only that, that when Jesus says, follow me, he's issuing a gracious call. And I don't want you to miss that. That as he takes the initiative, as he summons these four men to follow him physically, to walk in his ways, to learn from him, to walk in his steps, this is indeed a gracious call. And as you hear the words, follow me today from the scriptures... Please hear it in its graciousness. Sometimes we hear about an authoritative call and we get a little uncomfortable, don't we? Authority is being stripped away in every way, shape, or form today. Let's break apart. Let's bring God out of the equation. Let's bring fathers out of the equation. Let's bring families out of the equation. And parents, let's put the individual in its rightful place the throne. So when I speak to you in this time about an authoritative call to follow Jesus, you're getting a little uncomfortable. No one tells me what to do. No one commands me. They invite me. They have me consider things. And if I feel like doing so, I might. But if I don't, it will be my choice. Authority is uncomfortable for us. Please, as you hear the authority, understand it's benevolent and it's gracious. It's gracious. You look at who he is calling. We're shocked. He's calling fishermen? Fishermen? The king shows up and he wants people to follow him in his ways and in his kingdom. He's getting disciples. He's calling people to himself. People to follow him. People to walk with him. People to learn from him. And he goes to the fishermen. We're shocked by that. Wouldn't he go and find someone more acceptable? Someone more usable? Someone more trained? Someone more prepared for following the king? Wouldn't he go to a Pharisee who's been trained in the law, who's an expert in the scriptures? Wouldn't he go to someone who had affluence and wealth, who's got power and influence? Wouldn't Jesus go find the most charismatic, influential people to follow him and be a part of his learning community? Wouldn't he go to someone like a soldier who's been hitting some push-ups, he's got a sword, who can wield authority and influence people? Why would he go for the fishermen? We're shocked. 
as he is expressing his authority in his choice, he's also revealing his divine grace. And he's turning upside down the expectations of who God is calling to himself. Those that are least likely. Those who would assume to be least useful, least desirable. He's calling fishermen to himself. So unexpected, so shocking for the king of the world, heaven and earth, to call the most unexpected, undeserved, uninfluential, probably inarticulate people in and of themselves. The most, the least influential people he's calling to himself. People that would normally say, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. I'm stuck in it. I'm doing this. And I've got no real impact on the world. I've got no real usability in what God is doing in the world. And we see that Jesus is, is turning expectations upside down. And in doing so, he's revealing his sovereign grace toward people. It's a gracious call. And, and you bring together this personal call, this authoritative call, and this grace that's just obvious there, at least implicit. And you see the convergence of these three things, and immediately it begins to summarize for us the kind of call that Christ brings to us. What Jesus did when he called each one of us. He did so personally, and he did so authoritatively, effectually in our hearts, and he did so graciously. Right, That we were aware of our brokenness and our sin. We were aware of our, of our guilt before God. We were aware that we were weak, not strong. And Christ in His grace and in His mercy came to us where we were in the midst of our life, in the midst of the season we were in, in the midst of our distraction and us just surviving and just figuring things out in the midst of our brokenness, and he just showed up graciously and said, I want you of all people to follow me. I want you of all people to have connection to me. I think about my own life. In early years, for whatever reason, it was God's sovereignty to call me at a young age in the midst of such just jacked up brokenness as a kid in the midst of just fears and confusion and anger and anxiety, just craving for meaning and purpose. And I just heard the gracious call of Christ. Yeah, you, Maisie, follow me. Me? Me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that what I've been through? So undesirable. So useless. Me? Yeah. You, Maisie. And I wonder if some of you just think back on your past and you come face to face with a summons from Jesus. But you are brought face to face from, with the grace of Jesus that is so freely and mercifully given that yes, even though you were undeserved 
and in your own mind, undesirable and unacceptable, that Jesus just brought you to himself. He called you to himself. He said, follow me. Yeah, you, Maisie, follow me. What joy that that brings to our lives. This gracious call, follow me. It's simple. It's personal. It's authoritative. But oh, is it lovely. Is it gracious? Is it merciful? That this is what Jesus is doing. Calling the unacceptable, the unlovable, the unworthy to himself. That's the nature of the gospel, is it not? That on the surface, some others might seem more lovable, desirable, usable, but at the end of the day, it's all an equal playing field. That in the end, it's all about a holy, merciful God that through Jesus Christ calls us into fellowship with Him and says, follow me. If you hear anything today, hear that. The graciousness in the simple call follow me. The call of Christ is clear, and it also includes a promise. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And in that moment, you hear that. You hear a promise. I'm going to do something. As you follow me, I'm going to be at work in your life. As you follow me, I'm going to do something in your heart. As you follow me, you can do so with the assurance that I'm making a promise and I'm intending on keeping it. I'm going to remake you. Because in some ways, your sense of inadequacy and weakness and, and, and undeservedness, if that's even a word, is true. I know that. I know that. But I have the power and the attention to remake you. Remake you into who I long for you to be. I'm going to repurpose your life. He says, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You're fishing for fish. That becomes a metaphor for these guys. No, they're, they're going to fish for men now. You're going to fish for men. You're going to follow me. I'm fishing for men, women and children. You're going to do that too as you follow me. And as you watch and as you observe and as I teach, I'm going to mold you. I'm going to make you. I'm going to shape you. And you're going to fish for men. Remaking of us repurposing of us. Of course, it's progressive, right? There's an immediate change. We are in Christ. We are new creations, amen? The old is gone. New has come. All glory to God. But we understand this remaking is a progressive change. Over time, as we walk faithfully, trusting and submitting to Christ's call to follow Him, as we walk in His steps, He's progressively changing us, remaking us into people that he uh, calls his own and people that he uses. So he's doing something in us. I'm going to make you. And he intends to do something through us. You're going to fish for men. 
And so we see the purpose of God in calling people to himself to use them in his purposes. I wonder if some of you here today are craving that. Like, what is life all about? What is meaning and purpose of life? This is it. The simple call. Following Christ is he's making you someone who's making disciples. He's calling disciples who will then make disciples. No matter what you do with your life vocationally, it's really for disciple-making. Right? That's the purpose of your life. That's what God is doing in your heart, immediately and progressively, making you into that which He wants you to be, someone who's making disciples. As you follow me, I'm remaking you, and I'm repurposing you as a follower of Christ and as someone who is fishing for people. That's all-encompassing. If It's not just for pastors. If you're a lawyer, an engineer, a teacher, a marketer, a pizza shop owner, you know who you are, an administrator, a salesperson, those are all vocations. You don't have to quit your job. You don't have to quit, right? Some of you may be called to do just that. I'm called to full-time vocational ministry. Wonderful. But really, God keeps you where you are, right? And all of those vocations, that yes, you're there for the good of the company, but ultimately, you're there for the glory of God in the making disciples as you follow after Jesus. Not just for pastors. It's for all of us who are walking in the steps of Christ as he's remaking us wherever we are in our work, in our communities, making disciples. That's what Jesus is doing in us, and that's how Jesus uses us. And what a gracious promise that is as well. Again, I, I've often thought to myself, like looking in the mirror over the last 15 years of ministry, like why am I doing this? Like who am I for this task? Why, why am I it, it, it called to this, Lord? Why did you place me in this? There's got to be someone who's holier. There's got to be someone who's more mature. There's got to be someone who's more usable. There's got to be someone who can control his emotions better than me. There's got to be somebody better out there who knows more, who's considered more. There's got to be someone better than me that you can use. But see, that again is the wonderful grace in this call. Not only calls us to follow him, to be closely connected to him, but even as he empowers and equips us for service, it's an understanding that yes, he could have done it himself, but in his divine wisdom he chose to use people like you and me who on our own strength have no business being in a part of what God is doing in the world. But God chooses to use those who are weak and useless and foolish to all the more highlight his glory in the world. Amen? Oftentimes I get from those who knew me in elementary school at Liverpool Elementary they find out I'm the pastor of a church nearby, and they're like, what kind of church is this? You know, like I remember we did a little service project at Liverpool Elementary, and I showed up there. Yeah, I used to go to this school, and there was one teacher left. 
Mrs. Heimerman, oh yeah, sixth grade teacher. And she was just in a state of total shock. You? Yeah, me. God did a work. All the glory. All the glory goes to God now. That's how God does it. You may be thinking here, God would never use me. God would never call me. But see, that, that's a misunderstanding of the nature of God and the way that he works in the world. If you're feeling weak, receive his strength. If you're feeling uh, like useless, know that you're in a perfect place for God to display his power. This is what God does. It's a gracious promise. And it includes that. It calls for our response. And that's what I think shocking for us this morning. In both cases, we see how these men respond. Like Peter and John. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Really? Seems a little crazy. Well, James and John. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. Immediately. That means no delay. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they dropped the nets, they got up, and they started walking. Immediately, they left their boat. They left their father. I think about the kind of loyalty that my father has to his parents. Forty-something years, I will give my life for this business. That's what my father's done. 40 years at Maisie's Meats, he's got inflamed fingers and arthritis and his neck's all jacked up. And it's like, you know, in his mind, this is just what it was to be a son, supporting and being a part of the family, right? The Maisie family. And you can imagine this call coming to these guys who are in the family business. Follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. You know, you think, well, good for you, Jesus. We're kind of embedded in this. This is what the family does. But they immediately drop what they're doing without delay, and they leave behind something that was very valuable and meaningful to them. That explicit, not implicit, explicit in the call and the response thereof is an immediate, total abandonment of that which they previously valued and were committed to. That that's inherent in the call. You cannot follow me and stay here. You cannot do this and keep doing that. There must be a decisive disruption of your norm to follow me. And that comes at us Pretty strongly, I think. It's not easy to imagine. It's not easy to imagine. It reorients priorities. It reshapes our daily commitments and priorities. He's calling us to himself. He's calling to remake us and to repurpose us. And if we're going to follow him, we have to walk away from something that we might uh, uh, previously value and have, carries great meaning to us in the moment. There's no room for both and. A choice 
must be made, this or that, here or there. I think this is hard. It's a very real struggle for us. We understand the, the, the magnetic pull to temporal realities and priorities, to this world, the things that we love and value and treasure here. And we begin to even wonder, why, is it, why does it have to be that? Why, why can't I have all of this, do all of this, focus my life on this, submit to this authority in my life, and why do I have to now break away from that in order to do this new thing that I'm being called to do? Can I have both and? I think that's a very real struggle for us in the American church. We want it all. Let me personally confess to you, I struggle with this in suburbia. I'm always being pulled to we could have more. We could do more. And yet Jesus says, follow me this way. It's easy to get entangled in worldly affairs that seem to shackle us away from the priorities of the kingdom and just the simplicity of following Christ, leaving it all behind. There's tension here for me. I don't know if you feel it, but I feel it. Tension. I feel a little co confronted. And to be quite honest, as I was sharing with Doreen recently, that, that I feel stuck sometimes. Raise your hand if you feel stuck in certain temple realities that seem to prevent me from just walking in faithfulness as I follow Jesus. I'm going to put my hand up first for you if you're embarrassed. I feel stuck. I can't. I feel like God's calling me to this. I feel like Jesus is leading me in this, but I can't do it because I'm stuck in this. I'm shackled here. There's this practical temporal reality that prevents me from following Jesus there. Lord, you're saying you want me to give X, Y, and Z, but I got bills A, B, and C first. I can't give, Lord, because I got my bills. I'm all tied up. I'm stuck. I want to give my time. Lord, Lord, you're leading me to invest in this person. But my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is locked in on everything else. You feel the tension? It's hard. It comes to us with great difficulty. I've often said, I feel stuck. I can't change this. I want you to understand this without any insensitivity to your practical realities. Know that I share them with you. But when we hear the call of Christ and we conclude that we're stuck, we're believing a lie of Satan. We're believing a lie of the enemy. We're not stuck. God has provided all that we need for obedience. It might be a lot of unraveling that needs to take place in our life to move in faithfulness. But in Christ, we're free. We're not stuck. Amen? We're free. So the call calls us to a total abandonment. It calls us to leave all behind that the world would otherwise put out for us. 
that would otherwise define us, that would otherwise control us apart from him. He says, leave it behind. And I want to be clear here. I'm not saying, husbands, leave your wives and your children. (laughs) This is not calling us to that. No, the faithful following of Jesus may actually be a stop doing those things and start doing the very things that I've called you to do. Invest in your wife, invest in your kids. It's about faithfulness to Jesus. This is not a physical call for us. Maybe that's helpful. Like leave, just walk up from your house and walk out the door. No, this is about being faithful to Christ and allowing his word, his will, to guide, direct, and influence you only and comprehensively. Amen? Follow Jesus. Wherever he goes, however he leads, no matter what the cost, no matter what the cost, follow Jesus. We see that that's exactly what these men did. And you see verses 23 through 25, you see as they followed Jesus, what they saw and what they observed. As their feet trod in his steps all throughout Galilee, what were they seeing take place? Well, here it is, is that Jesus is making disciples. I'm going to show you how to fish for men. I'm going to show you how to make disciples. It's going to be three different things. That reveals the kingdom, reveals my identity, calls people to participate in it. He went through all Galilee teaching in the synagogues. Jesus is a teacher. We're about to embark on chapters 5 through 8, 5 through 7. Man, I should read my Bible. The Sermon on the Mount. He's going to teach. Teach. We're going to be in there through January. The Sermon on the Mount starting next week. Just Jesus teaching. Teaching. He went into the synagogues. He went where the people were. And he went there as a rabbi and he started teaching. Teaching. Explaining. Clarifying truth to those who craved meaning. Because everybody's confused. Opening up the Bible. Opening up the Torah and the Old Testament saying... Let me teach you. Let me explain. Let me clarify. Let me expose. Let me illustrate. Let me help you understand the truth of what my Father is revealing on these pages. That's what Jesus does. He teaches. Jesus is a teacher. So as we follow him, we're following his teaching. We're learning from him. Some of you need to get your pens and your notebooks out again in life. Forget the dialogues. Just listen. Listen to Jesus and his teaching. He's also proclaiming. He's providing uh, good news to a world that's craving hope. Tell me we're not in a world that is craving hope today. Bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. There's good news. Jesus is proclaiming it. He's not suggesting it. He's not tweeting it. He is proclaiming as a herald would. Hear ye, hear ye. All ye subjects of the king, hear this word, this good word. The kingdom of God is at hand. The king is victorious over his enemies. The war is over. The king is here. He is preaching. He's declaring a message that cannot be ignored, that cannot be uh, um, uh, just shunned aside. It must be responded to. So he's preaching, he's declaring, and last, he's healing. He's healing 
a, a world that is broken, right? He's bringing restoration to people's lives who are so broken. You see the lists of, of the oppressed, the afflicted, the diseased, De- those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics. He healed them. They were diseased, oppressed, um, uh, paralyzed. And Jesus, out of the authority of who he was as king of heaven and earth, said, no more. Wholeness. Wholeness to you. Jesus is healing people. Miraculously. Extraordinary invading the ordinary. Maybe this. Heaven, the reality of heaven invading earth. The eternal invading the temporal. Wholeness restoring brokenness. Man, no matter how how hard we try in innovation and technology and medicine, we cannot bring about the healing that Jesus can only give. We put all of our hope and trust in innovation and technology. Listen, I'm not saying those are bad things, but understand what they are. Common graces for people. But listen, they are not a replacement for our trust in the one who comes with great power to restore all that is broken in our world. Jesus. Jesus teacher, he's preacher, and he's healer. And that becomes the rhythm of his ministry that we're going to see. He's going to teach, he's going to preach, he's going to heal. And all that to explain and authenticate who he is as the king, the Messiah. So follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Wherever he takes you, whatever it costs you, for all that he promises and all that he is. Follow Jesus. That's the text today. Follow Jesus for uh, wherever he takes you, whatever it costs you, for all that he promises and all that he is. And you see, great crowds did just that. And we're seeing even a, a contrast of the kind of following that the four guys prior did, leaving all behind, and the kind of following we see here in verse 25, that the crowds are all following him. Understand this. There's a contrast there, as we're going to see unfold in the story of Matthew, that there are people that follow Jesus, people that follow Jesus. Right? It's kind of like a spectacular event. Guys, the crowd was very large, but understand this, the crowd was there for the candy. You know, like, the crowd is amazed and astonished, and rightly so, about Jesus' authority in his teaching, his authority in bringing about healing for these people that seem to be stuck in their brokenness. Like, yeah, that's an attractional ministry. Like, that's going to call, that's going to beckon people to be a part of. People are going to want to see more. And there's going to be uh, people that are following Jesus just for the candy. And people that are following Jesus. Where are you on that spectrum today? You following Jesus in response to this personal, authoritative, gracious call that brings about a ton of personal cost and the abandonment of all that you would have seen valuable and meaningful in your life? Or are you just here for the candy? 
something to consider today. I trust the Spirit of God even now is just calling you to himself, calling you into discipleship. Discipleship. Calling you into disciple-making as you walk in the steps of Christ. So follow Jesus. Parents, invest in your children. Right, You're making disciples. Make disciples at home. The disciples are right around your kitchen table. You put them to bed every night. You say, I'm stuck at home, pastor. Listen, perfect. Disciple. Invest. Fathers, don't, don't, don't relegate that to your wife to do. Get engaged in discipling. If you're, if you're following Jesus, you're investing in the disciples right there in your home. Never see yourself stuck at home. Can't go make disciples. And husbands, invest in your wives. Don't neglect to pray with them and read scripture with them. Because Christ called you to follow him and he is in the process now of making you a disciple maker. Invest in them. It's great joy and dignity and just the simplicity of following Jesus at home. Teenagers, be aware of following the crowd. The crowd's going this way. The crowd's going that way. I'll do it because they're doing it. Follow Jesus. Wherever he takes you. Whatever it costs you. Don't give in to peer pressure. College students, follow Jesus, not your dreams. Someone say amen. Follow Jesus, not the trends of culture. Don't follow the, the, the false teaching of some professors. Orient your life now. I mean, I think college students are in a season of such opportunity to direct and orient their lives in a way that follows Christ before all the entanglements happen. Have that focus and that vision. Follow Jesus with all of my life, with my decisions. And orient my life to disciple-making, to walking in His ways and living out His purpose. Employees, no matter where you work, no matter where you are, see yourself there as a missionary, as a discipler. Conversations at lunch, even the way you interact about certain projects that are going on at work with other people. Like, you're there to make disciples. Pray before you work. Ask God to use you. That's what he desires to do. That's the call of Christ for all of us. Follow me. Follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. So let us do that. Follow Jesus wherever he takes us, no matter what it costs us, for all that he promises to us and all that he is. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we give you all the praise and glory for taking the initiative to see us in our sin and our brokenness, to send Jesus Christ into the world. He's the one that calls us. He's the one that takes the initiative. 
It's he that is the one that calls us by name. It summons us into a relationship with him. A summons to service. To being used by him. I pray that everybody here today would hear that call and respond. Not as the crowd, but as a disciple. By placing their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. By willing to submit all things to him, no matter what it costs. Oh God, continue to make us a people that are, have a singular focus on following Jesus. That are not distracted and, and concerned uh, all, too, all too much and too often with the things of this world. Sanctify us here and now with your word. Give us joy as we walk in your ways and in your steps. If there's anybody here today that feels weak, confused, I pray you just your spirit would minister to them now. Remind them of your grace. Give it to them, Lord. Help them to drink and feed upon the, the finished work of Christ who gives all these promises and secures them for the people of God. Spirit, give us strength to be faithful as we follow Jesus. Pray this in all, uh, pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.